All right, well, it's great to be with you once again. Uh, I have to say, besides my own church, you're my favorite church that I get to, <laughs> that I get to uh, hang out with. And uh, for those of, those of you who don't know, uh, I am a church planter. Uh, my wife and I planted a church. Uh, it'll be five years, the end of this year. I can't believe it's been that long. And uh, we're called Inversion Covenant Church. We're part of the Covenant family that you're a part of as well. And we're, uh, we're all part of the same movement of churches, which is a wonderful movement of churches. Uh, and uh, as you probably know, uh, the president of our movement planted this church, which is amazing. And uh, I got to see John at midwinter when it was here in Denver and spend a little time with him and just kind of catch up a little bit. And uh, uh, what a great guy he is. And I can't say enough about Pastor Guy and Teresa and, and just what a gift they are and what a mentor and encourager guy has been for me over these over these years uh just encouraging me and and, uh i want to just let you know that i'm so thankful for you i am so thankful for you i mean not only are you a supporting church of ours just by virtue of the fact that you're part of the covenant you're part of our family and a portion of all the money that ever gets given by this church uh, goes to help churches like ours but i also want you to know that um and some of you may know this, some of you may not, that uh, just a few weeks ago, I was feeling very down, which can happen uh, when you're a church planter. I don't know if you know that church planting is difficult, it's challenging, and whoever said it was easy lied. Uh, I'm here to say right now, and there are many times over the last uh, four years or so that uh, I've wondered, are we going to make it? Can I keep doing this? Are we going to survive? Because most church plants don't survive. And uh, we ended our last, uh, this last year uh, significantly in the red, which accountants tell me red is bad, black is good. <laughs> and uh, we were, I think, close to $9,000 in the red, which is a lot for a little church like ours as we ended our year uh, last year. And uh, one Saturday, I... I uh, was going to the church where we meet right now in Littleton, and I have a little mailbox there, and I checked my mailbox, and there was an envelope, and I opened it up, and it was a significant check from Applewood Community Church. And i got to tell you, that just totally blew me away. So thank you. Thank you. I'm here to say thank you so much, because you guys, uh, without you, we can't do what we do. And I'm just so thankful. And by the way, uh, I think this is the first time I've been with you uh, that I've actually had my wife with me. So I, I am married and I do have a wife. <laughs> so in case you were wondering, uh, and she was able to come today. So uh, would you just stand real quick? And I just want to introduce you. This is Val, Valerie. And uh, uh, I just wanted to share with you a quick funny story that just happened this morning. Uh, <clears throat> we were driving here uh, She's a realtor, so she has to go to an open house a little bit later on, and she wanted to get some balloons for that. So we got here early. She dropped me off, and she took off. And about 10 minutes later, uh, she calls me, and she says, um, you have the keys to my car. We have one of those cars that the key has to be in the car. So uh, the keys were in the car, and so she couldn't start the car. And I'm like, well, honey, uh, I have to preach like in a few minutes. Uh, I, do you know how to use Uber? <laughs> And uh, so, and she doesn't. So uh, I found out. 
So uh, all of a sudden, and I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if she was going to make it here. Um, you know, I was like, okay, well, hope, hope you make it, you know. And uh, so um, all of a sudden she shows up, and I'm like, you figured out how to run Uber, I guess. That's great. And she goes, no. I go, what? She goes, it didn't cost me anything. I go, what, really? I go, how'd you get here? She goes, well, I was walking out of the store, and I saw some people, and I said, can you give me a ride? <laughs> my pastor, my husband's a pastor. He's preaching at this church nearby. Can you help me out? I'll pay you 20 bucks if you bring me here, you know? And uh, so they did. And uh, she got out of the car in the parking lot here and uh, offered him a $20 bill. And he said, we don't feel right about that. <laughs> yeah, so, so if she smells like smoke, it's not because she's a smoker. Okay. <laughs> Uh, just to clarify, just to clarify. Oh, my goodness. So, anyways, it's just amazing how God works, isn't it? Um, and God takes care of us. Um, God works in mysterious ways, and He always takes care of us. And uh, so this morning, I want to talk about prayer. Uh, speaking of prayer, you know, God answers prayers. Um, but there's one thing that I find that's kind of interesting about prayer, and that is this. Most of the time, if we're honest about our prayer life, our prayers are usually pretty safe. Pretty safe. Uh, we pray prayers like, bless me, protect me, guide me, heal me, rescue me. God, could you bail me out this time? Uh, you know, I have a friend that says to me, uh, he loves to say this phrase, uh, isn't it interesting how we love to pray ourselves out of the things that we behaved ourselves into? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those are pretty safe prayers. And uh, it's not like they're bad prayers. Those are good things to pray. You know, if, if you have a loved one who is ill, pray for them. If, if you're finding yourself in a difficult situation, of course, pray and bring those things to God. And, of course, we should always pray, bless me, protect me, guide me, Right? But so often our prayers are kind of pathetic, if we're really honest. They're selfish, they're, they're thin, they're, they're wafer thin, they're shallow most of the time. And I have this theory that prayer is kind of like the risk-reward thing. You guys know about the risk-reward thing? You know, uh, anybody uh, have money in the stock market or trying to retire someday. Uh, you know, if you don't take risk, you don't really get much of a reward. You can play it safe. Uh, my grandfather, he grew up in the Depression, uh, World War II, never put any of his money in the stock market. Um, only trusted banks and stuff, which, you know, barely trusted those. Um, but he probably could have had a lot more money if he was willing to risk it a little bit more. But he wasn't willing to take that risk. But that's kind of how it works, though, isn't it? Uh, if we're willing to risk, uh, the payoff potential is a little bit more. So there's something about prayer that if we're willing to be a little more dangerous with our prayer life, a little more risky, taking a little more of a, a daring approach with God, I believe God honors that. God wants us to pray dangerous prayers. So I want to give you an example this morning of a dangerous prayer that I want to challenge you to pray. And it's this, simply send me, send me. 
I want you to consider this dangerous prayer with me. Because, you know what? God is ascending God. And every single one of us who knows Jesus can actually look back on our lives and see and point to people in our lives who were sent by God with His reckless, overwhelming love that we just sang about. And God has this mission. God has a mission to send, bring His reckless, overwhelming love. The love that just overwhelms us, that is poured out at the cross. And as we read through Scripture, we see this all through Scripture. We see God sending, 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 because He wants His message to be heard. He wants His message to be revealed. And He wants us to not only receive that message, but embrace it and turn to Him. And so how does He get this message across? He has to send flesh and blood. You know, and so that's what He does. We see all through the Old Testament, He sends prophets over and over again. He sends His messengers to His people. And He says, please listen. You know, listen to me. I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. This is my message. And what do they do? They not only don't listen, but they persecute the prophets and they kill the prophets. And so we turn to the New Testament and we see that God gets to the point where He realizes, I've sent everyone I can send. I have no other choice now but to send Myself in the form of a man, a human being. And his name is Jesus. And not only does Jesus come and, and share this message of love, but He is the message on the cross. He embodies this message to us by dying and shedding His blood for us. And so God is ascending God. And every single one of us who knows Jesus is the recipient of God's mission and God's sending. And then He challenges each one of us. He says, I want to send you. I'm sending you. Because now that you have the message, now that you understand my love, now that you have this, there's more people that need this message. There's so many more people that I need to reach. And so I'm sending you because you know what? You know people. You're around people. You're with people. You work with people. And those are the people that I love. And so I'm sending you. Just as I sent so-and-so in your life to reach you, I'm sending you to reach another. And so there's three responses to God's call. There's three possibilities that we can read about in the Scriptures. And I want to bring you to a couple of these. Uh, now, the first two are not exactly um, models for us, but they are examples of how someone might respond to God's call. So I want to point you to, first of all, uh, a guy named Jonah. Now, Jonah, you know, I love the story of Jonah. Everybody knows the story. Uh, you know, Jonah and the whale. We all know the story, right? Uh, and by the way, did you know what the 
loudest animal is in the world. The loudest animal in the world. Anybody know? A whale. A whale. It's the sperm whale. The sperm whale, the clicking sound that the sperm whale makes is like 200 decibels. It's louder than a jet engine. And whale calls travel through the ocean 10,000 miles. It's unbelievable. Anyways, just a side note about whales. But Jonah's response to God is so interesting. This is what he says. Jonah says, Here I am, God. I'm not going. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I love Jonah for that. I love that. Because, you know, he, he can't deny God's calling him. He can't deny God is real. He can't deny God is there. He can't deny God is speaking to him. So he's, he's made a lot of progress. I mean, a lot of people don't even get to that point, you know? I thought, you know, a lot of people don't even believe in God. But here God, you know, he, Jonah, he not only believes in God, he knows God, he, he, he's hearing God's voice. He says, thanks, but no thanks. And we read about this in Jonah 1. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh, God says, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But what? Jonah ran away from the Lord. So Jonah's not the model for us. But I love Jonah. And you know what's great about Jonah? Even though he says, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. God was so patient with him. God was so kind with him. Ultimately, Jonah does what God calls him to do, and he's incredibly successful. And the people of Nineveh turn. So even though Jonah says, I'm not going, God works with him and makes him a successful messenger on his behalf. Another example that we can read about in Scripture is a guy by the name of Moses. And God calls Moses. And what does Moses say? Moses says, here I am, send someone else. (laughs) Here I am, send someone else. And we read about that in Exodus 3.10. It says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? You got the wrong guy. My brother would be way better for this job. He can actually talk. I can't even hardly speak. You got the wrong guy. I don't know why you would choose me, God. Send someone else. Send someone else. And so we see in these two examples much of ourselves, don't we? When God calls us, we have the option. We can say, I'm sorry, God. The answer is no. I'm not going. It's as simple as that. And so much of the time, even though we don't really say it, it's really truly our response. Because we're just not willing to do what God wants us to do. To be the messenger that God wants us to be. And so much of the time we're like Moses and we say, you know, that's somebody else's job. Somebody else can do that. Somebody else can go to Africa. That's not me. Somebody else can talk to the neighbor Maybe my other neighbor will talk to my neighbor. Maybe my other coworker, he's a really strong Christian. He's he's uh man, he must be like a pastor or something. You know, he can really talk the talk and 
Maybe he can talk to my coworker who needs Jesus. Send someone else, God. You got the wrong person. But again, even though Moses has this response, God is so patient. God is so kind. And God works with Moses. And what happens? Moses eventually says yes. And half the Old Testament is full of the story of Moses and the writings of Moses and the amazing things that God did through Moses to lead his people. Amazing. And so even though Moses says, here I am, send someone else, God works with him. God is kind, God is patient. And Moses' heart has changed. And he's used by God in powerful ways. But then I want to give you a different example. It's an example that we find in the book of Isaiah, and I invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 6. It's on page 1318 in my Bible, if that helps. Um, <laughs> uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, very, very interesting passage I want to direct you to. The very beginning of, of the chapter of chapter 6. And Isaiah has a different response than Joah, Jonah or Moses. This is what Isaiah ultimately says to God, and he says it immediately. He says, here I am, God, send me. Here I am, God, send me. And so I want to read this to you just a little bit. It says in the first verse, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah speaking. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and when he had touched my mouth with it, he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then here is where Isaiah responds to God in the way that each one of us should. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. What a different response from Jonah or Moses. Isaiah simply says, Here I am. Send me. So when we pray the prayer, the dangerous prayer, send me, what are we saying? We're basically praying a prayer of availability. We're saying, God, I'm available. This is what Isaiah was saying. He was saying, God, pick me. Send me. I'm available. I am yours. Now I want you to notice what Isaiah does not say. Isaiah does not say, where am I going? Right? He doesn't ask that question. He has no idea where God is going to send him. 
He just says, send me. He doesn't ask, what's the weather like there? Is it cold? Will there be snow in March? It doesn't go away. Will I have to escape down to Arizona, warm up, or Florida? No. He doesn't ask, hey, by the way, what's the cost of living there? What's the salary? What's the benefit package? Am I going to have health insurance? And by the way, how much vacation time will I have? Isaiah doesn't ask any of these questions. He just simply says, I'll go. I'll go. Essentially, what what does Isaiah do? He essentially signs a blank contract with God. Think about that. You ever signed a blank contract? You ever signed a blank check? Here you go. You make it up for whatever you want. It's an amazing thing that Isaiah does. It's extraordinary. Signs a blank contract with God. Why does he do this? How does he do this? What compels him to do this? He simply fully surrenders to God. What about you? What about you? Have you fully surrendered to God? Have you signed a blank contract with God? Or are you saying, God, yeah, I'm here. I'm not going. I'm comfortable. I like where I am. I like what I do. I like where I live. I like my situation. It's comfortable. I'm cozy. Leave me alone. Or send someone else. But what if you wanted to go? What if you're saying, you know, if I'm really honest, I am kind of comfortable. I would kind of rather not go. And I would rather probably have someone else go in my place. I'd really rather not have to do this. But, I wish I could. I wish I could say that I was. I wish I could say I was like Isaiah. How can I get there? You know, I, th- I think if we're honest, that's how most of us feel. I want to, but I just don't know how to get there. Well, let's look at how Isaiah gets there. Because my guess is, Isaiah being a human like the rest of us, probably his initial... Uh, reaction or instinct was to be more like Jonah or Moses. But something happens to him here. What happens to him? He has an experience. He has an experience with the living God, the holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's in the throne room of Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth. 
And he has an experience that gets him to the place where he can say, here I am, send me. What happens to Isaiah? Well, first thing that happens to Isaiah is he has a a genuine experience with the presence of the living God. We read that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, if you don't know this, King Uzziah was a good king. He was one of the few good kings, and Israel prospered under King Uzziah. And King Uzziah uh, was struck with leprosy because he tried to be the priest, and he learned this hard lesson. But King Uzziah was an incredible king. He was a good king. And so by Isaiah pointing out that this, was, this happened when the year King Uzziah died, he's basically saying, number one, this was a crisis. This was a time of crisis. Our good king is now dead. What are we going to do now? Times are changing. The prosperity may be over. The good times are not going to keep rolling. This is, this is bad. This is, this is horrible. And this is when I saw the Lord. We also see here this train of His robe that filled the temple. This was a visual that basically was trying to, to show that the glory of the Lord fills the earth. Not only is this temple vast and the train of the Lord vast. I mean, just literally picture that. The train of the robe filling the entire room. Like the glory of the Lord fills the earth. Isaiah experiences the presence of the living God. I think that would change you. I mean, picture yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Here I am, God, send someone else. Here I am, God, I don't want to go. Here I am, God, leave me alone. And then all of a sudden you experience God for who He really is. Everything changes. Everything changes. All the cares of this world fade away. Everything that you're worried about, everything that's stressing you out, everything that we get so worried about in this world goes away. Have you ever been to a funeral? When you go to a funeral and you think about someone's life and you're kind of faced with your own mortality and you realize this person was here and now they're gone, it affects you. And you start to go, you know, all that stuff that I've been worried about, all the stuff I've been caring about, all the stuff that I think is so important, when I'm gone, none of that's going to matter. And it's interesting to me that he, he starts this out by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. In other words, he's taking us to a funeral here. He's basically saying, you know, King Uzziah is just dead, just died. Everything is, everything is changing. Everything is different. None of this matters anymore because the glory of the Lord fills the earth. And when you understand who God is, everything changes when you experience Him. The second thing that Isaiah experiences 
is a genuine awareness of his sinfulness. It says, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This phrase, unclean lips, is, it's a figure of speech that reflects Isaiah's life. He's basically saying, I am a broken man. I am a sinful man. I may look good on the outside, but inside, I am full of sin. And I need to be cleansed. I see my need for cleansing. I am so aware of my own sin and failing and brokenness, especially in light of now who God is. He says, I'm ruined. He's just overwhelmed his own brokenness and failing. And we read that even these supernatural creatures, these seraphims with all these wings, two of the wings cover their faces, which tells us that even a supernatural being cannot bear to see the face of God. Powerful, powerful stuff. And then the third thing Isaiah experiences is a genuine understanding of God's grace. We read that this seraphim that brings this coal, this live coal, it touched my mouth, he says. And then the the angel says, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So here he is. He's overwhelmed by the presence of God. He's overwhelmed by his own sin and shortcomings and failings. And then the seraphim touches his lips with a coal and says, God is taken care of. It's atoned for. Your sin and your guilt is taken away. We read in Leviticus chapter 16 that live coals were brought into the most holy place to ignite the incense on the Day of Atonement. And interestingly, the word seraph actually means flame. It means burning. And so this creature, the supernatural creature, is like a flame. And he brings this fire, this live coal, to the lips of Isaiah, as if to say, only fire can destroy sin. Sin is so awful. It has to be burned. And in the same way that the coal removes his sin and guilt, the blood of Jesus takes away our sin. Isn't it good to know that our sin is atoned for? Our guilt is covered. It's taken care of. It can be removed by the blood of Jesus, which is what we celebrate in this Lenten season. 
As one writer puts it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unable to do anything about our own condition, while we were helpless, while we were unaware of just how bad the situation was, Jesus died. Jesus pours Himself out for us. And so God says, Whom shall I send? Send me. And you see, there's a certain kind of supernatural thrill or high that comes from being sent by God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but in January, our church got to go to Kenya for the first time on a first time on a cross-cultural basis. And uh, we had six people from our church. One was from our meetup group uh, that, we, that we do. And we joined up with 14 others uh, from another church in Minnesota, another covenant church. And so there were 20 of us, and we all went to Kenya together in January. And I got to tell you, what an amazing thrill, what an amazing feeling it is when you go and, and you're there and you're being used by God. And I got a chance to tell some of the people there that we were working with that, that we were trying to share the love of Jesus with. I was able to say to them, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that God loves you so much? He picked me and sent me 3, 000, no, 10,000 miles, or whatever it is, from where I live in the United States, which you don't even know where that is. Nobody knows where anything is there. To you, here, right now. I mean, there were times when I thought, I must be the first and only white person some of these kids have ever seen. You, I felt like an alien, like I'd come from another planet. It's so amazing. They, they would walk up to me, and they would touch my arms. They would rub their hands up and down my arms because they'd never seen white skin before. It's just... It, it's just crazy. And here I am, and I'm like, God loves you so much. He picked me to come to you. And make sure you know how much God loves you. What an amazing God we have. He would do that. And, and pick me. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But he picked me. He chose me to come to you. And when you make a difference for God, and when you see the difference that you're able to make in someone else's life, whether it's here or somewhere else, you're able to say, wow, God used me again. God used me again. Wow. And it's not like you have to do this. When you get to experience something like what we experienced in Kenya, it's like, oh, I can't believe we get to do this. This is incredible. And this is how I feel about planting our church. It's like, I get to do this. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And so, my friends, who's God sending you to? And what's going to be your response? Oh, i got one more thing I want to share with you uh, before I close. So, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I notice this a lot about myself. Uh, we tend to make things kind of hard when they should be easy. Have you ever noticed that? Um, like, even just thinking about something like this. Oh, God wants to send me. Oh, this is going to be so hard. What am I going to do? Oh, i got to think about this. i got to figure this out. It seems kind of overwhelming. We make this into such a hard thing, and it's, it's really not meant to be like that. It's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be easy. And uh, one example of that is just yesterday, uh, I was in our kitchen, and uh, we were putting away some food, and my wife uh, 
hands this Tupperware thing to me I'd never seen before. And she says, would you put the lid on this? And I'm like, sure. And it's got flaps that close down. They clamp down on all four sides. And I got, I got all three of them down except for one, and I just could not get that last one. And I'm literally, and my best friend's uh, visiting me, uh, and he's sitting at the island, and he's just watching me, and I'm like, Ugh, uh, and I'm like, I'm about to ready to get a hammer. You know, I'm like, uh, and I'm like trying to clamp this thing down. I'm like trying to be a man. <laughs> you know, and I'm getting so embarrassed because I can't get this dumb flap down, you know. And I'm just like working this thing as hard as I can. And I'm, I'm about to jump on it. And I'm like, give me a hammer. I'll just, you know. And I'm like, I give up. <laughs> and my wife, Val, grabs it. She goes, oh, no problem, honey. Click. Puts it right in the fridge. <laughs> I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> I still don't know how she did it. But she did it. It was easy for her. I don't know. It was hard for me. I don't know what my problem is. But, you know, we make these things so hard when they really they should be easy. And uh, I just wanted to share with you kind of an example of that real quick. Um, our church, uh, second year in a row, we just did this outreach um, on uh, St. Patrick's Day. And we did this big uh, Irish festival. And people think I'm crazy, but uh, I love doing this because it's such an easy thing. It's so easy. And so there I am. I got to be St. Patrick. And, uh, and so what we do is we have face painting. We have um, a petting zoo. Uh, we do all kinds of crafts. We invite vendors to come in. And it's just a wild, crazy thing. And, and we had like, someone said we had like 400 people there. And we were listed as the top five things to do uh, on Nine News and in the paper and stuff for, for St. Patrick's Day. And it was just crazy. And we're like, where did all these people come from? This is amazing. And then what we get to do is we give a presentation on the real St. Patrick because it's just history. It's just it's sharing the real story of St. Patrick. No, he wasn't Irish. No, he didn't drink green beer. You know, all these things. No, he didn't, you know, do something with snakes. That's all legend stuff. Actually, he was one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He planted 600 churches. He was enslaved by the Irish people, but God freed him through a dream and then called him back to the very people that enslaved him to share the love of Jesus and the powerful gospel with the people of Ireland. And he was so successful. God blessed him. The Druids wanted to kill him, but God kept him alive. And he started a movement that lasted centuries after his death. That's something to celebrate. And so I share with all the people there, some are Christians, some aren't. I say, I just want you to know that Patrick was a missionary. In fact, he came to know the living God through Jesus Christ, as a slave, as a shepherd in Ireland when he was 16 years old. And he was so compelled by the gospel, God called him back to the very people that enslaved him to share the love of Jesus. Now that's something to celebrate. And so we talk about that and we share that story with, with everyone there and it's just so cool. And I just love it because it's so easy. It's so easy. People already celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I don't have to say, hey, do you guys know what St. Patrick's Day is? Nope. Everybody knows. Do you know why we're going to have a party? Oh, no, they already know. They, everybody already knows. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just party. We just create a party. And people come, and then we share with them the real story of God's love. And so, my friends, this doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. This, God actually wants us 
to be easy for you because he's already sent you. He's already put you in places where you can be a light, where you can be a witness, where you can be his messenger with his message. And so, my friends, what's your response? Is your response, I'm not going? Is your response, send someone else? Or is your response, here I am. God, you are so awesome. Send me. Send me. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that you sent your only son into this world because you love us more than we will ever know. You poured yourself out with your reckless love, your overwhelming reckless love. And now you want to send us. So would you send us and would you change our hearts so that our response is like Isaiah's and we can say, send me, send me. I would love to go. I would love to be your ambassador and your messenger because you are so awesome, God. And it is such a privilege to be able to go. So show us where you want us to go. Show us how you want us to go. Show us who you want us to reach how you want us to talk to them. And maybe it's not even talking. Maybe it's just showing your love, Lord Jesus. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you send us?